The question to be evaluated today is what is the role of steroids in preventing post-extubation strider and reducing the risk of reintubation? The first study we're going to look at is from CHESS. The um, principal author is Maureen Mead and the title of the paper is Trials of Critical Steroids to Prevent Post Extubation Airway Complications. It's from CHESS 2001, Volume 120, pages 464 to 468 in supplement. Uh, laryngeal edema and the resultant strider are common problems in children following tracheal extubation after mechanical ventilation. Not infrequently, airway compromise necessitates endotracheal reintubation. This sequence of events also occurs in adults, although far less often. Pre-extubation corticosteroid administration might, in theory, ameliorate this problem. The anti-inflammatory effects of corticosteroids could prevent or attenuate the degree of laryngeal edema. In cases that might otherwise be mild, corticosteroids might even eliminate significant edema. However, it is plausible that corticosteroid therapy might have insufficient time to act to prevent laryngeal edema, or might, for a variety of other reasons, have a minimal therapeutic impact. Randomized control trials uh, represent the only way to definitely resolve this issue. Focusing on outcomes of importance to patients, um, in this trial, um, the authors review the trials of, uh, that investigators have conducted in both pediatric and adult patients. The authors present their methodology as well as their statistical results, and those will be included in the paper presented on the website. Uh, but going to the discussion, two well-designed trials of dexamethasone therapy prior to extubation in children have unequivocally demonstrated that steroids reduce post-extubation strider. The inferences from these trials are strengthened because patients, caregivers, and those assessing outcome were all blind allocation. In contrast to the effects on strider, the effect on reintubation is far from clear. In one of the two studies, 7 of 32 patients not receiving steroids required reintubation in contrast to 0 of 31 patients receiving steroids. The trend in the other study was in the opposite direction, was 4 of 77 not receiving steroids and 9 of 76 children receiving steroids requir required uh, reintubation. We found no adequate explanation for this difference. The three trials of steroid therapy in adults observed so few events that even the results of the pooled analysis have such wide 95% confidence intervals that they are essentially uninformative. The results are consistent with a reduction in the risk ratio of reintubation of 86% and also with an increase in the risk ratio of reintubation of 58%. For clinicians who believe that preventing strider in children after extubation is in itself important, the results of the two randomized control trials provide a definitive answer. Steroids reduce the relative risk of strider by about 40%. Even using the more conservative estimate of 21% strider frequency in patients not receiving steroids, the results suggest that one needs to treat no more than 12 children with dexamethasone therapy to prevent one from developing strider. For those who believe that dexamethasone therapy is warranted only if it, presents, only if it prevents reintubation, the question remains unanswered. Both trials found reintubation rates of greater than 10%, although hundreds of children would ultimately have been enrolled in randomized control trials to answer the question. It may, be, it may well be worth investing in the resources to resolve this question. Now in adults, the situation is different. Reintubation for upper airway obstruction is very infrequent. Tens of thousands of patients would have to be randomized to detect the absolute differences in effect that could be expected even if steroids substantially reduce the risk ratio of laryngeal edema. 
Such a trial is almost certainly not worth the resources required. Focusing on a high-risk population, such as patients who had had airway trauma or those undergoing facial reconstruction, may be more fruitful and feasible. The data included in this systematic review and more comprehensive discussion of the original articles are included in an evidence-based report of the Agency of Healthcare Research and Quality. The next article is entitled Corticosteroid Use in the Intensive Care Unit at What Cost? It's from Rebecca Britt and it appears in Archives of Surgery. The full reference as well as the PDF file will also be located on the website www.burndoc.com or burndoc.net as well. Um, this is a um, overall evaluation of the use of corticosteroids in the uh, intensive care setting uh, period. Only a small a section of this is actually dedicated um, to um, the use of um, airway edema. In this studies the authors write that steroids are commonly given for airway edema and strider, although this use is not supported by prospective trials. Markovitz and Randolph reviewed three studies in adults with a total of 1,047 patients and found no differences in the rate of reintubation or post-extubation strider. A meta-analysis of four trials of corticosteroid therapy in adult patients looked at the rates of strider and reintubation and found so few events that the results were uninformative. There, is clearly a need for a large multi-center prospective trial to study the benefits of corticosteroids in adults or airway edema and before the use is accepted. Overall this is a good article that looks at some of the problems of uh, injudicious use of steroids in the intensive care unit setting. In the same volume of Archives of Surgery, Mike Rotundo uh, has an interesting commentary on this article. Dr. Rotundo writes, Machiavelli once said, Anyone wishing to see what is to be must consider what has been. For nearly 40 years, enthusiasm for steroid use in the intensive care unit has been like a pendulum, cyclically swinging towards and then away from their use. Currently, enthusiasm for steroid use appears to be on an upswing. Despite decades of conflicting data, steroids are once again being advocated for the treatment of sepsis. In addition, with a greater appreciation for the prevalence of relative adrenal insufficiency in the ICU, the use of steroids appears to be increasing. A historical review of the subject would lead one to proceed down this path with caution. Britt and associates at Eastern Virginia Medical School have clearly articulated the results of a well-designed case control study examining the complications associated with steroid use in the ICU. Their findings of significantly increased rates of pneumonia bloodstream infections, urinary tract infections, ventilator days, and ICU length of stay serve as a warning to those who advocate increased steroid use. It is also noteworthy that these results may have been even more significant had their institution not already implemented a series of protocols designed to limit infections. If one considers the indications for the use of steroids in the ICU, the benefits may not outweigh the risks. Use of steroids to treat traumatic op optic neuritis is not well supported in the literature. Likewise, steroids may not alter reintubation rates in those with airway edema. The literature does not provide guidance for steroid use in, quote, relative, quote, adrenal insufficiency. 
Steroid use in sepsis remains controversial, and in the treatment of spinal cord injury, steroids have recently been de-emphasized. Given the paucity of documented benefit, the infectious risk of steroids needs to be carefully considered before initiation of therapy. So in summary, when it comes to considering the use of Decadron to prevent Strider post-extubation and maybe hoping that it may decrease the rate of reintubation in adults, will we provide the patient with steroids? My answer is no. This is Jeff Guy.